And uh, today, I'm going to speak on the subject, pleading the blood of Jesus. Pleading the blood of Jesus. Now, I've chosen this topic because I've been studying the topic of pleading the blood for about three or four years now. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about this because it's not the answer to everything. It's not the uh, silver bullet that will solve everybody's problems. But it is something of great importance, I believe, that needs to be restored to the church today. Pleading the blood of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24 is the text I'm going to use right now. And it starts off, the, the passage starts off as, but you have come, and then it speaks about coming to the living church of heaven, the new Jerusalem. But then in Hebrews 12, verse 24, it says, well, but you have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than that of Abel. So here we have a picture of Jesus. He's died on the cross and he shed his blood. But we know that he is the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And that when he ascended into heaven, he took his blood not into the holy of holies of a man-made temple, but into the eternal holy of holies of heaven and there presented it on our behalf for our forgiveness of sins. Now, when we talk about pleading the blood, let me tell you a little bit of a story about where I first found out about pleading the blood before I explain a little bit more about what it is and what it isn't. I remember that when I was at Durham University, 1987, graduating 1990, in uh, 1987, I came to the Lord. And the person that brought me to the Lord and discipled me in those early days, uh, he, was from, uh, he was a student in my class. He was from a charismatic Anglican background. His father was big in the Christ, uh, as a Christian businessman. Uh, with full gospel, and his mother was associated with Sifan and Reinhard Bonnke. And so he, he knew his way, and he'd been brought up as a strong Christian. And so he discipled me, and uh, he is now a canon in the Church of England. Well, when he heard that I was going to Kensington Temple Bible School after uh, doing a theology degree and that I was hoping to pursue a calling to the Pentecostal ministry, I never forget his words to me. He said, ah, oh, all right, so you're going, you're going to be a Pentecostal, are you, Bruce? Well, you'll be preaching and pleading the blood every week then. <laughs> and I thought to myself, what is he talking about? Preaching the blood? I had no idea what he was on about pleading the blood, I had even little more idea what he was talking about. I just sort of laughed, pretended I sort of knew what the joke was. But I went away and thought, what is he talking about, preaching and pleading the blood every weekend? Well, when I came into Pentecostal circles, after a while, I, I began to hear some people talking about pleading the blood. And uh, I started to have an interest in it because of what the canon, well, now canon, then a student, had said to me that I would be doing every week. And so I was asking people, what is all this pleading the blood? And why is it apparently so Pentecostal? And the sort of answers that I would get was, oh, yeah, in the early days, the Pentecostals, they'd be pleading the blood over this, pleading the blood over that, pleading the blood over their family, pleading the blood over their cat. Everything got the blood pleaded over them. <laughs> I said, oh, all right, okay. Uh, and they would just plead it, blood, 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 and they'd have, they, they'd have a bloodline that the devil wouldn't be able to cross, and, and all these things. And I thought, well, that sounds a bit superstitious to me. And uh, people who, who had been around Pentecost a while said, yes, it, it, it really it did turn into superstition, and people, you know, if you didn't plead the blood over this, that, and the other, you suddenly got very scared that because you hadn't pled the blood, whatever that means, over something, then the devil was sure to... To destroy it. And so I thought, oh, that's a shame. That sounds a bit weird. But something inside me kept thinking, wait a second, that surely there's more to it than that. Surely it wasn't just some sort of superstitious mantra, you know, like a lucky charm or something like that, that people would speak. Surely that, that there's something deeper, or even if it's just a little kernel of truth, something in this. 
Because I've learned enough to know that often when something is born of the Holy Spirit, it's very powerful in the early days, but later on it, be it becomes powerless, it becomes a form without the power that was there originally. And so I thought to myself, I'm going to read everything I can on the blood of Jesus, and especially looking for this pleading the blood or whatever that was. So I got every book that I could. There were a lot of word faith books on it. And, um, and as I read them, I was disappointed in what I read. There was a lot of sort of testimonies of how pleading the blood saved this or did that or changed this circumstances. But it didn't really explain how, how this happened. And also, like I said, it was more testimony-based than scripture-based. One of the major verses uh, that deals with the blood is Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. Uh, Revelation 12, 11 was often quoted. It says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Overcame who? Satan. Earlier on in, in, uh, in Revelation, in that chapter, we find that we have Satan is accusing God's people day and night, just like he was accusing the high priest Joshua in, um, in, in the book of Zechariah. And so I thought, well, and people say, yeah, you see, the blood is a weapon against Satan. And I thought, well, actually, in this context, the blood is simply saying, you can't accuse me because Jesus died for me and my sins are under the blood. So it wasn't some sort of weapon that you'd shout at the devil. It meant that when Satan accuses us, he's got no leg to stand on. Why? Because Jesus shed his blood for my sins. So if the devil points your, out your sins, you point him to Calvary. Because that, and that is how we overcome the enemy. And people used to say, well, the blood of Jesus, it's there for protection. And there's a point here, because we know that uh, one of the great passages of atonement uh, is when Exodus, when the children of Israel were taken out of Egypt, and on that last night they took the blood of a lamb, and that is a type of Jesus, and they sprinkled or applied it, didn't they, to their lintels of their doors. And then when the angel of judgment came, wherever he saw the blood... He passed over. And that's true, because when we believe in Jesus, that he died and shed his blood for our sins, paid the price for our sins, we believe that God's judgment has passed over us forever. And we've applied the blood of the Lamb to our lives by faith in Jesus dying and, and being uh, raised. Again, but I couldn't see any bloodlines there. I couldn't see any sort of superstitious way of, of, of doing this. Now... I'm going to come to a few uh, segments of a book I finally found online uh, that, that showed me exactly what was going on in the very early days of the Pentecostals just after World War I, but I'll come to that later. Because having said these things and having acknowledged that today hardly anybody, even in Pentecostal circles or, or modern successful Pentecostal circles, pleads the blood or even knows what it is, that most people I've asked about it over the years have simply told me it's superstitious and we don't need it, we can just pray in the name of Jesus. But as I studied the blood, I realised that actually, generally speaking, uh, Christ's blood is also an unknown teaching very much in the church today. But the gospel is a gospel of blood. This might surprise you, but do you know that references to the blood of Christ are five times more frequent in the New Testament than references to the death of Christ? So wherever you read Christ died or the death of Christ, there's three times more references to the blood of Christ in the New Testament. Sorry, five times more. You think that we are cross-centered and we're meant to be as Christians, but do you know in the New Testament there are three times more references to the blood of Christ than even the cross of Christ? So looking at that, you would say, hey, wait a second. There is an emphasis in the New Testament on the blood of Christ that maybe we haven't appreciated. We focus on the death of Christ, rightly so. We focus on the cross of Christ, rightly so. But there are more frequent references to the blood of Christ in the New Testament. I won't give you all the scriptures, I've got them, but... That's not my aim tonight. But when we read some of these scriptures about the blood in the New Testament, we read things like this. 
that we are redeemed through the blood of Jesus. In other words, we are purchased by our blood. He buys us back, if you like, from the sin that has got hold of us. So the blood of Jesus buys us, redeems us, like you would purchase or redeem a slave from its master. In a similar way, there's purchasing power of the blood. Not that Jesus bought us back from the devil, but his blood did buy us back from sin. It purchased us. The blood brings us near to God. We are brought near to God by the blood of Christ. We see that in Hebrews. Hebrews is all about blood. It starts about not forsaking God and listening to what he's saying by his Holy Spirit and and, and pursuing God, but then it talks about how Jesus' covenant is a better covenant than the Old Testament. Jesus' death and shedding of blood is far superior than any or all of the shedding of blood of animals in the Old Testament that couldn't save anyone and couldn't ultimately deal with any sins. Only the blood of Jesus could pay the price for human sin. We find that the the order, the priestly order of Jesus is a better priestly order than the Levitical priestly order. We find that Jesus is a high priest, not a Levitical priest, but a high priest in Hebrews 7 in the order of Melchizedek. And then it speaks about how when he died on the cross, as he sacrificed both high priest and sacrifice, how he took his blood into the holy of holies and made access for us also into the Holy of Holies, into the Father's arm. We are justified by the blood, not just by Jesus' death, but justified by his blood, the New Testament says. Remember in the Old Testament, I just need to give you a bit of background here. In the Old Testament, it wasn't enough just to sacrifice an animal. You take an animal, sacrifice it, is that atonement? Has that changed God? Has that that dealt with sin as a sin offering? No. The priest had to do what? Apply the blood, didn't he? He had to slay the animal. That wasn't enough. He then had to take the blood. And he had to take the blood to the altar. When God saw the blood, something happened. God gave grace. God gave mercy. God granted grace. Forgiveness on the Day of Atonement, blood once every year. Blood had to be taken into the Holy of Holies, or else not only would the nation not have its sins atoned for, the priest would never come out alive. That's why he walked in with bells on his skirts. Uh, in, as long as they could hear the bells ringing, they knew everything was all right. But if the bell stopped and he didn't come out, they had a special pole with a hook to bring him in. That's why when he went into the Holy of Holies, he had blood. Blood, something about that blood. Mentioned the Passover wasn't enough, was it, to kill a lamb? Wasn't enough to eat that lamb. You had to take the blood and you had to apply it. You had to sprinkle it. That verse that we looked at, Hebrews 12, verse 24, we've come to Jesus the mediator and a new covenant. But it doesn't stop there. It says, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than that of Abel. Remember how Abel's blood spoke to God? When Cain slew him, it was the first murder. Something about shed blood spoke to God. God said that life is in the blood. And when Abel was slain, not Abel's body, not even Abel's death, but the Bible says Abel's blood spoke to God and it spoke vengeance, and God responded to the speaking blood of Abel. Well, how much more when we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better. In other words, Jesus did not just die and shed his blood, but he applied that blood. He too took it into the holy of holies of God and sprinkled the blood where there was then atonement for everyone that believes. The blood, we are purchased with his own blood. Christ is the Passover lamb. And uh, there's many other things I could do, but I don't want to go into a big teaching on this. But look at this. When Jesus held the Last Supper, the first communion service, he said, this is my body broken for you. But then he took the wine and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. In other words, the New Testament, 
or the new covenant, all its promises and all its benefits only came into being through the blood of the new covenant. Blood changes God. Blood speaks to God. In Hebrews 12, 24, it says, we come to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than that of Abel. Abel's blood spoke vengeance. Jesus' blood speaks forgiveness and mercy. And, and listen, it's the sprinkled blood that speaks, not the sprinkled blood that once spoke. The blood of Jesus is as powerful before the Father's throne as it was on the day that Jesus was crucified or the day that Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies in his atonement. Blood is sacrifice. Someone's got to pay for sin. Somebody's got to pay the price. God is judge and justifier. He is judge. He is the perfect, most holy being in the whole of the universe. And he can't let sin go, not even the littlest sin. It has to be dealt with. Uh, imagine how we'd feel if someone was a murderer or a rapist and the judge said, you know what, I'm going to let you off this time. Try and be a good boy. We'd feel a sense of outrage, a sense of justice not served. That's just a human illustration. Can you imagine uh, what God must feel about the slightest sin in his absolute perfect holiness. Somebody had to pay the price. And the only one that could pay the price for our sins was Jesus. And he paid it through blood sacrifice. That's what all the sacrifices of the Old Testament are there for, to prepare us for that moment. The blood of Jesus is precious. Why? Because it has purchasing power, forgiving power. It has power before the throne of God. You know when Jesus said, all authority has been given to me? It's true. He had been given all authority. And of course, as the word of God, he had all authority before he came to earth. God has always had all authority, correct? He's had all authority, but he hasn't necessarily if you follow my human reasoning for a moment, he hasn't necessarily had the legitimacy to give mercy and to give grace and to give forgiveness. You see, he's got authority, but without blood, he's only got authority to judge. He's got authority of holiness. He's got authority to declare judgment. But without Jesus' death, God has got no authority to forgive our sins. You hear what I'm saying? Why? Because no one's paid the price. We have to pay the price. But because of the cross, Jesus died, died for the whole world, so that not only did he have all authority to judge, but now because his blood was shed on our behalf, he can now give mercy as freely as he wants to all that calls on his name. He's not just the judge that brings judgment... But now because of his shed blood, his sacrifice, he can give mercy. I'll put it like this. Remember when Jesus was on the cross? I like to think of it like this. And it's true, especially in Luke's version. The first thing Jesus says on the cross after he's been crucified in Luke's version is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Well, how could the Father forgive them? Because they were sinning. How, how, how could Jesus ask the Father to forgive him? And I like to think about it like this, and it's probably true. He was put on that cross, and as he was on that cross, he began to bleed. And as the first drops hit the ground, not only did he have all authority to judge these people, he had now was making atoning sin to forgive these people. And he says, Father, you see my shed blood? Don't hold it against them. Forgive them. You see, with the blood speaking better things, Jesus can intercede for those that don't deserve intercession. We, this is what Jesus is doing right now. He's interceding for us, not just praying. It's not that he sacrificed every day. One sacrifice, one sacrifice was necessary, but it was an eternal sacrifice. And that blood is speaking today before the throne of the Father. It's like Jesus has that blood, and right now he's saying, Lord, don't judge them down there in Kensington Temple, Father, but have mercy for them. 
Now, this is, this is what I want you to grasp right now, and then we'll come to the, the pleading bleep. The, the blood speaks to God, and it's irresistible when it's presented to him by Jesus. I mean, the blood speaks to God. And when Jesus, as it were, says, Lord, don't judge them, but Lord, look at the blood, then God turns his wrath from us, and instead mercy comes because of the blood of Jesus. I mean, think about how the father feels about the blood of his own son. Think about that. What type of effect? And throughout the history of the Bible, the blood properly sacrificed, even the animals in the Old Testament, although they were just a picture of the cross, that blood spoke to God, that blood changed God's attitude. Sometimes we find that sacrifice with a soothing aroma unto the Lord, don't we? And that God changed because of the blood. The blood had an effect on God in sacrifice. So what do you think? If the blood of lambs and bulls in the Old Testament that really have no power to forgive can turn the heart of God from judgment to mercy, what do you think the blood of his own son does? How, how do you think that affects him? And remember that the worth of blood is dependent on the creature that the blood is shed from. So I don't know if anybody had chicken today. Okay, one person. Anybody had beef today? Okay, nobody wants to put their hands up. Blood was shed. Somebody killed that chicken for you to eat. And you say, good, I'm glad. You ever had a nice fillet steak? Someone shed uh, that cow so that you could have that steak. You say, well, that's fine. That, 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 you might say, that cow well, should be happy that it lived to be on my plate. You hear what I'm saying? Or a rabbit. You don't, you don't think so much. But when you, when you think of, of a child that dies or was murdered, that can have an incredible, horrible lasting effect on you. Why? Because a child's life is so precious. You hear what I'm saying? The blood that was shed in that murdered child, that speaks, and it's horrible. Why? Because that child is so precious. Well, how precious do you think is the blood of the Word made flesh? How precious, if, if a chicken's life is of no preciousness, not really, compared to a child's life or a human, uh, an adult's life, what about the preciousness of the life of God made flesh. What about the preciousness of that blood when you compare that to the goats and the bulls that were sacrificed? If they in the Old Testament could turn God's judgment into mercy, what do you think when the father saw the blood of his own son? I have an only son too. His name's Jake. And I think, well, I wouldn't let him die for any of you because I love him too much and I don't love you enough. It's true. He's my son. You'd expect that. But if you brought to him, if you brought to me his blood, he'd been, his blood had been shed or something like that, and you brought his clothes and they were soaked with blood, what sort of emotional, psychological, physiological reaction do you think I would have to seeing my son's own blood? All right? That's a human sort of thing. What do you think happens to the father when he saw the blood of his son? The type of effect, if goats and bulls and sheep and all that lot did what they did in the Old Testament, what about the power of the blood of Jesus before the Father's throne? And so, when I began to think about pleading the blood of Jesus, and I'll come to some of these anecdotes in this book later, I realized that Jesus is a high priest. Where's his blood? It's his own blood. He was the lamb that was slain. What does he do with his blood? He presented it once before the Father, but that once is still speaking today. It's powerful before the throne of the Father. Do you know that we are also priests? In fact, that's our major function on planet Earth, to be priests. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, the priesthood of all believers. Hebrews 10 verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place by the blood of Jesus. We can go to the throne of God in prayer and intercession. We, by faith, can approach the throne of God boldly with confidence in our prayers. Why? By the blood of 
Jesus. We couldn't go in there without the blood of Jesus, but we can because of the blood of Jesus. What is this saying? Well, it means that if you're a priest and you're here to make intercession for this fallen, lost world, where's your blood? The, old, the, the Levites had their blood. They shed thousands and hundreds of thousands of animals during Passover time, and it was filled with blood. The gutters were filled with blood. They took blood in. You're a priest in the order of, the high, uh, in the order of Melchizedek, and Jesus is our high priest. What blood do you use for priestly ministry? Not many people have thought of that. You use the blood of Jesus. This is where pleading the blood of Jesus comes into its own. It's not the whole answer, but it's a answer. In other words, what plea? Why should the Father answer your prayer? Because you pray in Jesus' name. Exactly. And praying in Jesus' name is very, very powerful. We're commanded to do that because praying in Jesus' name is praying in his authority. For the sake of Jesus, Lord, and his authority, we ask you to answer. But what is your plea? Why should God answer your prayer? Oh, because I prayed two hours a day for it. No. Why should God answer your prayer? Because I'm a pastor. No. Why should God answer your prayer? There's only one reason that he should answer anything that you ask, because you don't deserve anything that you ask, and you can't go to him and demand anything you ask just because you're a born-again Christian. When you're in the court of heaven and you're pleading your case in prayer for God to come according to his will, the only plea that you have is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. It's like this. It's like, God, there's no reason for you to bless me. There's no reason for you to visit us again with your Holy Spirit. There's no reason for you to turn your wrath against Europe and bring a great revival. There's no reason. In fact, everything in justice demands that you judge Europe and judge it wholly and fully in its rebellion against you in these last decades. Uh, the wrath of God is revealed, isn't it, against all unrighteousness by the giving over of people to their sin. The greatest judgment that God ever does on the earth is leave people to their own devices. He says, you don't want me? See how you do without me. And then all of a sudden, the principles of sin... And judgment begin to kick in. God simply takes his hand off people. That's how the judgment of God. Three times in Romans 1, he gave them over. Well, what's to stop God giving Europe over to its own sin? What plea do you have that will turn him? The only plea that you have is because of the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus. Father, forgive Europe. It hasn't a clue what it's doing. Forgive them. On what basis shall I forgive them? On the blood of Jesus. Jesus. Lord, remember that Jesus, your son, died for the world. Lord, I plead the blood before your throne in Christ as a priest. And I say, Lord, for the sake of the blood of Jesus, for the death of the blood of Jesus, for the blood that's before you, turn your face from wrath and look at Europe through the blood-tinted lens of your son. Look at us through the blood. Deal with us according to the blood of Jesus and have mercy and grace and not judgment on us. This is what happened in the Old Testament. This is the thing that can turn God's righteous anger and wrath to, to kindness. Because Jesus died for us, that's why you should answer our prayer. Because Jesus shed his blood for us, that's why we ask for more mercy. As you begin to pray this, as the Holy Spirit leads you, you find that you get great confidence because God will not deny the blood of his son brought to him in faith. God will not deny a church that rises up and says, Father, for the blood of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, make your name known again. Revive your church. Intervene in this situation. Lord, this is our only plea that Jesus died for this world and that his blood and the blood of Jesus is so powerful, one drop of the blood of Jesus could extinguish all the wrath of God over the world today. One blood. But do we, do we have any priests that are prepared to value the blood of Jesus as much as the Father does in prayer. 
We've got anybody who's prepared in prayer to turn the Father's attention to the sacrifice of his Son and ask us to deal with us according to the blood of Jesus and not deal with us according to our own sins. The blood speaks to God. It's our only plea, and we echo the blood cry to the Father as priests. It's the blood that turns power and authority into merciful intervention. It's like we're sprinkling the blood when we plead the blood before the throne of the Father as one aspect of powerful prayer. Now, I'm going to read to you some anecdotes from... um, I found, it was a miracle how I ended up finding this book. And it was written in 1919, right at the beginning of some of the most powerful moves of Pentecost. And uh, the book is called The Word of God Coming Again. The Word of God Coming Again by Kent White. And in it, it talks about how the Holy Spirit moved on a group of Pentecostals. It was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't something that was superstitious or anything like that. Moved on these Pentecostals, and they found themselves, as well as praying other types of prayers, they found themselves pleading the blood of Jesus as priests and kings to the Father for intervention, and especially for the Holy Spirit to come. There's a great hymn that says... The Spirit answers to the blood. And there's a truth in that. Because the Holy Spirit did not come. Jesus says, he's not going to come until I go to my Father. Why? Because Jesus had to take the blood into the Holy of Holies of heaven before the Holy Spirit was poured out. That's why, that's why the Holy Spirit was operating on the earth, but Jesus had to take the blood into the Holy of Holies, and when he did that, then the Holy Spirit could be poured out on Pentecost. So wherever we acknowledge the cross, the power of the cross, and the actual blood of Jesus that was shed, when we honor that, plead that, Uh, value that as the Father does, we can expect the Holy Spirit to move. So here they are, they're praying and God starts to move and one of their prayers is pleading the blood. So let me just read a few little extracts there to give you a feel of what was going on in 1919. Through the pleading of the blood, the word began to come through interpretation and prophecy. The blood cut the way for the word. It opened up a channel by heavy blasting through the natural rock hardness and unbelief of human life. Through the pleading of the blood, faith sprang up in the spoken word. As we cried to God, he took our weak need faith in hand and brought us out with strength to stand up, at least for the, for the light he was giving, with a trembling sensation, not so much of fear as joy over the assurance that the word of God was indeed once more being heard among men. It's a great work for God to establish faith of man again in the spoken word. Uh, and so, so we got this idea of, blasting through the hardness of heart by saying, God, please visit this, uh, this backslidden nation again. And we plead the blood for this nation. Don't judge the nation as it needs to be judged, but deal with this nation according to what the blood says. And the blood speaks mercy. And the blood backs up the covenant of grace. Uh, here's, here's another um, section of someone pleading the blood. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just come to this. If you're a student of revival and Pentecost, you will have heard of a, re- a Reverend Alexander Body from the famous Sunderland Church. He was a, a Church of England uh, uh, vicar. He came into Pentecost more uh, quicker than most Pentecostals did. They had great meetings. Many famous Pentecostals were baptized in his church in Sunderland. Well, this is speaking about how one of his powerful prayers became the blood of Jesus. Reverend A.A. A. Body of Sunderland came and saw them pleading the blood, falling under the power and speaking in tongues. He was so overcome, he lay on the platform, on his face, unable to speak. 
He told Pastor Murdoch that he'd been in Norway in Barrett's meetings, a very famous Pentecostal in, in Norway, in Barrett's meetings, and that the power of the Holy Spirit was more manifest here than it was there. In fact, than in any place he'd ever been. Then he and Mrs. Body started to plead the blood in their meetings in Sunderland. In Sunderland, the baptisms they had had at first, without pleading the blood, had practically ceased. And John Martin, who, who was ministering this, was sent down there and commenced pleading the blood. The power of the Holy Spirit was manifest anew, and many were baptized. When the blood pleading commenced, there was no preaching, exhortation, or remarks on the subject. It came spontaneously under the strong power of the Holy Spirit. In it, we see the power of God descending in a wonderful way in answer to the pleading of the blood that many received baptisms. And then I think there's one final thing I will do. Yeah, um, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll do this one. Mrs. Murdoch got her baptism in the Holy Spirit the same day, her husband having been baptized three days before. She felt assured in the morning before rising that she would get her baptism in the Holy Spirit that day. Before she arose, she had a wonderful vision of the blood. She saw the whole front side of her room was a waterfall of blood, and it frightened her. She exclaimed, blood, 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 and sent for Pastor Murdoch to come in. Then the thought came, it is the Lord, why be frightened? She got her baptism that day with the blood like a waterfall pouring before her. After this, when anyone spoke to her disparagingly about pleading the blood of Jesus Christ, she was so affected it was like it would break her heart. And since that day, she says, the blood prayer has not been off her lips. She feels it's been her very life, sustaining her through very trying ordeals. The waterfall of blood is before her still. As she pleads the blood, the Holy Spirit answers in power. Now, there's other things I could read in that book. I just wanted to give you a sample. Listen to me. I'm not saying this is the brand new thing. I'm not saying this is the answer to everything. I'm not saying that we all go away now and, and pleading the blood is everything and we stop all other forms of praying. I'm not saying anything like that at all. But what I'm saying is there is an aspect, a Holy Spirit aspect that, that is here, that if you open your heart, you can find yourself pleading the blood for situations, especially where there's judgment and great power comes through it. This is part of my lifestyle now. I haven't really pre I've preached on the blood before, but not on the pleading of the blood, because I wanted it to become part of my life before I preached it. And I find, especially over nations or, or, or places where you see great visitations of judgment, that God is looking for priests, you and I, to stand in the gap. And I often find that the blood is on my lips, pleading the blood, that I'm saying, Father, please do not deal with this particular nation according to its sins, but have mercy on it. Have mercy on it because of your blood of your son. Lord, treat it not according to its sins, but let the blood of Jesus speak better things over this nation. Let's pray together. Father, it's like, it's like digging a well that's been blocked up for decades, trying to preach something that has turned into superstition, even to false doctrine. But God, there's something about the blood of your son, something about its priestly power. It still speaks today. You've only ever been changed by blood sacrifice. It's the only thing sacrifice, a life for a life, blood to appease and to change your wrath into mercy and grace. And it was you, Father, that sent your son to die on the cross. It was you. you I would never send my son to die for anyone, but you sent your son to die for the whole world. What love is this? It was your son that willingly shed his blood, but you asked him to do it. And this blood causes atonement for all that believe. And this blood turns your righteous, holy anger into mercy, grace, and manifestations of love. And so, Lord, we do not despise the mercy of God that comes through and only through 
the blood of Jesus. Lord, we come to you and we plead the blood of Jesus before your throne of grace over our lives. Lord, we know we don't deserve anything. We know that in our own righteousness, we can't demand anything or expect anything. But Lord, with the blood of Jesus, we can expect all things that Jesus died to give us. Sooner or later, they will come. Father, the blood of your Son is speaking to you right now, and Jesus is interceding on the basis of his blood, praying for us on the basis of his blood, that we don't get what we deserve, but we get what he paid for. Father, the whole covenant, the whole new covenant is based on his blood, all his promises, all his words. The very coming of the Holy Spirit was all based on the shedding of his blood and his presenting of his blood towards you. And so we have great confidence before the throne of God tonight for our lives and our circumstances and our situations. We have confidence. Our only plea that you hear our prayers tonight is that Jesus died for us and that his blood purchased grace, mercy. And so, Lord, deal with us as individuals and together mercifully. Lord, our sins are many and our failings are many, but thank God for the blood of Jesus. We have an advocate in heaven who forgives our sins by the blood of Jesus. Thank you that we can be washed afresh tonight by the powerful blood of Jesus. Thank you that the blood of Jesus is cleansing even now, saving even now. Lord, we bring our lives for a fresh cleansing from the crimson fount that came from Calvary, the blood that is as powerful today. Father, forgive us, cleanse us, hold not our sins against us for the sake of the blood of Jesus. And visit us with your holy salvation, deliverance, and healing. Lord, we ask you to send the Holy Spirit. On what basis do we ask you to send the Holy Spirit? On the basis of the shed blood of Jesus. Because of the blood, would you send more of the Holy Spirit to Kensington Temple? Because of the blood, would you give us a, more, a greater experience of the power of the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, we believe that you answer to the blood. You'd never have come and saved us if, if it wasn't for the blood. You'd have never have caused us to be born again if Jesus hadn't died. You'd never fill us or heal us or touch us. But Lord, Father, Holy Spirit, because of the blood of Jesus, we have access to the throne, and Holy Spirit, you bring heaven to earth. So we do plead the blood. We have confidence in the blood that was shed. And we ask you, Lord, to deal with us according to the sacrifice of Calvary. In every aspect of our life and every prayer that we pray in his name, in our dealings with you and others, we pray that the blood of Jesus will avail for us. We pray the blood of Jesus, as it were, would be sprinkled afresh over our lives and circumstances. We pray the blood of Jesus would be sprinkled. Lord, we pray for this city that is sorely under the judgment of God with so many people who don't know you and caught in false religion, atheism, and, and don't care for you and blaspheme you and hate you and despise you and ignore you. Truly, they're under the judgment of God and the wrath of God has been revealed according to Romans 1, but we don't let it stay like that, Lord. We plead the blood over London. We say, Father, do not deal with London according to its sins, for who would stand? Do not deal with it according to its sins, for who would stand in this city? But we pray that you will deal. We ask you to hear us, Lord. We mean this. It comes from our heart. We pray that in the coming days and weeks and months that you will deal with London not according to its sins that are a stench in your nostrils, but according to the blood of Jesus. That you would forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. That you would have mercy and that, is, that you would look at London through the blood of Jesus. That you would have blood-tinted lenses that when you look at London, you'll see through the blood of Jesus Everything he did for London, died for every person in London, shed his blood for all the sins that are rising from London to your throne for judgment right now. And we ask you to stay your hand. Why? Because of the blood that was shed for this city and this generation. 
would you hear our intercessory priestly prayer as perhaps by the Holy Spirit we echo what the blood is speaking uh, to you over London right now. We know the blood isn't speaking judgment. The sin of this city speaks judgment, but we know that Jesus' blood is speaking, and it's not speaking judgment over London. Father, it's speaking mercy, and we join with Jesus and cry out to you for mercy for this city, undeserved mercy, undeserved grace. Because of the blood, we plead for this city, because there was such a powerful the most powerful sacrifice, the most powerful substance, as it were, in the universe is the blood of your dear Son, and we ask you to remember that. We ask you not to remember the sins of London. We ask you to remember the blood of Jesus that was shed for the sins of London. Oh, God, visit us. Visit us with an outpouring. Let there be an outpouring of blood, Lord. Forgive us, we don't know what we're doing. We're a blind people, give us sight. We're a hard-hearted people, melt our hearts. We plead the most powerful sacrifice before you. If the blood of lambs and goats could change your attitude in circumstances on the earth and produce more mercy, if the blood of bulls, if the blood of bulls shed animal blood, could cause you to stay your hand, then why would not the blood of your own dear son cause divine intervention of mercy in the city of London, every street and every house? We plead the blood. The blood of the lamb, not the blood of lambs that were slain in Exodus, but the blood of the lamb, the holy lamb, the spotless lamb. God, let that blood, as it were, be on every household in London. And do not visit this city with what it deserves, but visit it with what Jesus died for us. Oh, God, visit your church in Great Britain. If you were to deal with the church in Great Britain as it stands, who would stand? If you were to deal with the leadership of the British church as it stands, who would stand? We can't expect revival. All we can ask is that you would deal with the church of Great Britain in new ways, not according to our presumption or our sin or our arrogance, but according to the blood of Jesus, cleanse your church in Great Britain. Cleanse the leaders in Great Britain. Do not treat us as we deserve, but treat us according to the sacrifice and send your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we believe you answer to the blood. Why should you come and visit us, Holy Spirit? Why? You blow where you will. You do what you want. You are no man's debtor. But Lord, you do answer to the blood. You do answer to the cross. That's what brought you the first time in your fullness on the day of Pentecost. And we ask, Lord, the blood of Jesus is as powerful today as it was when it was shed. Can we have another Pentecost, please? Can we have another divine outpouring of yourself, Holy Spirit? Divine influences, merciful interventions, touching sinful Christians that don't deserve it, changing our hearts and our minds, bringing us back into line with gospel truth, opening our blind eyes, opening our deaf ears, softening our hearts to one another and to the sinners that are dying and on their route to die in their sins. Would you visit us for the sake of the blood of Jesus? Oh, Father, send your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, the blood of Jesus was not shed so that millions in Great Britain could die in their sins, but the blood of Jesus was shed so that you could purchase a church. So move through your church. Visit us. We know you will. How you will and when you will and what you'll do, that's your business whether you'll come in might and power and public display or whether, Holy Spirit, you will work secretly and powerfully behind the scenes that we won't even realize what you're doing. We have full confidence to approach the throne of grace tonight and full confidence, not in ourselves, but the blood that was sacrificed, that you will come. That's our plea. We got no other plea. 
We've got no other reason that you would work in these days when judgment is being poured out on Europe, but we plead instead blood that was poured out for Europe 2,000 years ago, that God, in your mercy, you would visit us again for the sake of Jesus and the blood that you asked him to shed. Millions of people. God, forgive them they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them they don't know what they're believing. They're ignorant, Lord. We were ignorant, but the blood availed for us. Holy Spirit, come and work in our hearts and save and move in Europe by the power of the blood of Jesus. We request it. Let's just stand to our feet and just in our own lives receive a blessing from God. I'm going to ask the uh, ministry team to come forward. It may be that you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've yet to become a Christian. You say, is this blood powerful? Can this blood cleanse me from my sins? Was this blood shed so that I wouldn't have to face God as my judge, but I can embrace him as my father because Jesus died for my sins? Yes. What must I do to be saved? Believe that Jesus died for you and rose again. And trust in the blood and you shall be saved and your sins forgiven you tonight. And during the ministry time, if that's you and you say, I want to know forgiveness of sins, then while we're ministering to the Lord and ministering to one another here at the front, you leave your seat and come and say to one of these people here at the front, I've come for my sins to be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. I will pray for you and you'll go away a different person. But right now, why don't you ask the Holy Spirit just to bless you? Just to bless you right where you are, just to visit you. As I said, pleading the blood of Jesus is not the new thing, it's the old thing, it's the despised thing. It's not the answer to everything, but it's a string in our bow that needs to be used, especially as we're led by the Holy Spirit in these things. Father, visit your people right where they are right now with a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit. Touch them deep in their hearts more than anything else. Bring healing. Bring encouragement, Holy Spirit. You're the encourager. Bring strength to the weak right now, Lord. Bring courage to those that are fainting. Lord, release your ministry amongst us. Work deeply in our hearts, not just right in this moment, but in the coming days and weeks, we ask for every person here today watching on the internet, Holy Spirit, get, get inside us afresh and work, work, work. Change, change, change. Minister, minister, minister. Heal, heal, heal. Let all the broken hearts receive great healing. Healing of the memories, healing of the body. Lord, courage and boldness where needed. Holy Spirit, we ask you for a powerful work in us and through us in these days, in the name of Jesus. We're just going to worship the Lord for a couple of songs. If you need to come out and have your sins forgiven, or you pray to the Lord, come out. Or if there's anything you want prayer for, nothing is too small to come out for prayer, and nothing's too big to come out from prayer. And during this time, maybe you just want to wait on the Lord for a while, these couple of songs. Let God speak to you. That's fine too. Let's take these next few minutes and let's... Let, let's seal this evening with some precious time with God. Feel free to come forward for prayer.